Hey, Joss here. Slight info before we dive into the very first episode of The Art of Comics. We did have some tech issues straight out the gate, because doesn't that just scream we have no idea what we're doing? Therefore, the sound quality isn't the crispest it could be, but we still really hope you give it a go, because the comic we're discussing truly is worth it. And speaking of, in this episode, we're discussing This One Summer by Mariko and Jillian Tamaki. We do delve into spoilers. If you haven't read this wonderful comic yet, pause, pick it up, and come back later. Or listen to the episode either way, whatever you prefer. And should you wish to read along with our next pick, it's going to be Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Also written by Marika Tamaki and illustrated by Rosemary Valero O'Connell. Without further ado, let's jump on in. Hi, I'm Paul Duffield. I've been making comics for longer than I care to admit. I'm currently the art director at The Phoenix, which is a weekly children's comic. And I've drawn a lot of comics and I've written my own comics since I've published them. Hi, I'm Jaws. Uh, I'm an artist, streamer and buffer booth like Carrie-Anne Moss and I'm trying my best. Jaws is a consummate comic creator. She's drawn and written her own comics, which are available on Jaws' Patreon, which you really should support. In this episode, we'll be talking about This One Summer by Gillian Tamaki and Mariko Tamaki. What genre would you say it was, if we had to define it? Coming of age, I would say. Coming of age, hint of slice of life, definitely a bit of drama. I don't think this is the best blurb, I've got to be honest, but we can get into why that's the case. Oh, yeah, um, I, I gotta be real. I've been sitting ever since you told me that this is the one we landed on doing, and you told me that... I wasn't that fond of it the first time around. I, I, I wanted so badly to go, really? Tell me more. I was so intrigued. But I also, of course, wanted to save it for this podcast. And I wanted to have it fresh in my own memory before I asked. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to dive into why that is. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, I've got mixed, mixed feelings about this. And I've been wanting to talk to someone for a long time. Because um, there's a lot to love about uh, the production. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting comedy. Okay, so the, the, the blurb reads, Rose and her parents have been going to Awago Beach since she was a little girl. It's a summer getaway, her refuge. Her friend Wendy was there, is always there, like the little sister she'd never had, completing her summer family. But this summer is different. Rose's mum and dad won't stop fighting, and Rose and Wendy have gotten tangled in, in a tragedy in the making in the small town of Awago Beach. It's a summer of secrets and heartache, and it's a good thing Rose and Wendy have each other. In this one summer, cousins Mariko Tamaki and Gillian Tamaki, the team behind the award-winning Skim, redefine the team graphic novel. Gorgeous, heartbreaking, and ultimately hopeful, this one summer is a vibrant view into girlhood and growing up. Okay, the thing that bothers me about that is, is I, this didn't come across as a teen drama to me. It doesn't feel aimed at teens. This feels aimed at adults to me. I'm not sure. We'll get into it. Is there anything you wanted to, like, anything that the, the blurb doesn't capture that you wanted to say so the audience have a sense of the story? I don't know, because I feel like we have a distinct, different experience with this story. Hmm. Because I I will have to say, when I first read it, I, th I think I picked it up maybe back in 2016 or something. I was very enamored by it. I was very taken by it. And reading it again today, before this episode, I 
I have to say I'm still very taken by it. And that's why I'm so intrigued to hear what your opposition is. And not because I want to sit there and be like, no, you're wrong. But I find it very, very, very eye-opening to hear why someone experienced some, something so differently from me, potentially. So to me, I, I will say I think the whole thing about teenage drama, I, I disagree on that being the case for the main character, Rose, and her friend, Windy, because first of they're not teenagers, right? They're still like tweens. They lie about their age a few times. I think they're meant to be sort of like 14 or younger. Yeah, I know there's a age difference between them. Like Rose is one and a half year older than Windy. To me, Windy especially still very much reads like a tween. Right. I, I think my point about the the way that it sort of what does it say in the summer? Uh, so for, first of all, I think like the focus of the blurb is all on the drama and and the events, whereas the focus in the comic is all about the themes and what's happening mentally with the two girls. And then it says, redefines the teen graphic novel. I mean, I guess that needn't necessarily mean it's marketed at teens, but this very much feels like an adult writing about teens or about retrospectively their experience growing up as a teen rather than necessarily something I would have loved to read as a teen. Was that, how did it resonate with you when you first read it? When I first read it, I was, uh, let's see, in my late 20s. Yeah, I, I think it really, it really did resonate with me because... I felt like I recognized these characters a lot, both of them. Like, I've been both of these characters myself because I think something the comic does so well uh, is highlighting how much difference there is in just one and a half year between girls and probably boys as well or, you know, non-binaries. But I can only speak from my own experience and I know that especially girls at a certain age group, there's such a gap in just like a year or two. I really felt that the comic addresses that very beautifully where Windy is like still relatively immature in some points, but then she's surprisingly reflected in points where Rose is shamefully lacking in a way. So one of the, the subplots is a teenager who may be pregnant. She may have gotten accidentally pregnant. Rose slut shames her. And she's very misogynistic about it. And then Wendy, who still very much reads as a kid, she's like, why are you like this? Why are you being mean to this other girl? That's very misogynistic of you. I think that's a very real portrayal of how kids can suddenly surprise you by being very reflected and also much kinder about certain subjects than adults tend to be. I personally think it really resonated with me back then, and it did today. I still truly enjoyed this story, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I think I might have oversold the amount to which I, I sort of was uncertain about it. It was less that, less that I didn't enjoy it and more that it left me with questions about the author's intent and about particular small details in the book that I'd really like to know the significance of. And I definitely enjoyed it more on second reading. I think it's one of those books where normally when you hear people criticising, it's the kind of book that gets criticised by people saying, oh, nothing happened. It was just, you know, it was just really boring. Mm -hmm. um, and that wasn't my issue with it. But it's certainly, once you know that about it, once you're not expecting a kind of a, a dramatic arc that's the centre of the book and the whole point of the book, when when you realise that it's actually just sitting with some characters and, and sort of understanding their perspectives and understanding how they develop over the course of the book, I think is really important to go into to the read with those expectations to prevent it from being one of those kind of, oh, well, I... I expected a kind of a, a dramatic twist-filled drama or, or, or something like that. Yeah, that's fair. I think going into this, even the first time, I was very aware that it would be that kind of slice-of-life storytelling, which for people who aren't familiar, slice-of-life is 
kind of the opposite of what action-filled stories are. It very much focuses on bite-sized snippets of life where the characters are in, in the front of the story. And very often, at least for me, if it's a very satisfying slice of life, it shows character development, a resolve of some sort of conflict, but on a very intimate scale. Having that in mind when I went into this one summer, Maybe I'm just very nostalgic about summer in general because growing up in Norway, summer is like a religious experience. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this story really encapsulates what summer at least was for me, even though I didn't have these kind of experiences because I I didn't have like a family cabin to go to or whatever, but... Oh, I I totally agree. We summered in like a caravan park in northern France. Mm. Um, Really different summers. Totally just this vibe that it gets the holiday vibe it really really nails it and the fact that me from the UK going on holiday in France and you from Norway where where did you go on holiday? Either Norway or Sweden. (laughs) Right okay so you know going on holiday equally nearby Mm -hmm. can relate to this summer experience it's quite something actually. Yeah because I think for a lot of people depending on where and how you're grown up, of course. There's just something of being a carefree child during summer. And to me, this story really tackles when that change starts to occur, when you suddenly, you're entering your teen years where your entire worldview is being shifted, it's being challenged, you suddenly start perceiving everything differently. And that's kind of when, in my opinion, summer starts to also dramatically shift. And that's one thing that I really feel this comic gets very well. Yeah, absolutely. The, the changing tone. I can remember specific holidays I had that changed like this, sort of halfway through when I, I thought, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really get that kind of, there are a couple of really visceral moments. There's one I wanted to pick out, actually, that I absolutely loved. It's on page 70, page 80 and 81. There's this incredible double-page spread where they've been playing a game where they figure out who they're going to marry and where they're going to live on, like, a little piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And then they turn the page, and they've arranged the beach vertically down the page as a strip that the characters are running down, and they're they're really tiny. And then... As if it's a second panel, this really dark ocean is arranged vertically right across the end of the page like a bar, like your future that you that you just don't know, kind of a deep pool of uncertainty. And I keep they keep on using the sea in this way. And I really loved that as a way of communicating this kind of, it's almost like a deep breath before, who knows, what you're going to be like when you grow up. Yeah, that is one thing that just blows my mind with this comic is the art in general, the art and the paneling is just, it's, it looks so effortless and so exquisite. I, I know it's so dull listening to someone just like, oh my God, everything is good. But I just, <laughs> I really think this comic is very beautiful. I was, I was floored again, opening it today. And I, I thought like, man, I need to look at this comic more when I'm working on my own stuff, not to like steal from it, but just remind myself that paneling can be so artistic. It doesn't have to be this mundane, rigid form that some comics tend to stick to more closely than others and this one in particular is just it reads like very free-flowing storyboard to me where I feel like my eyes are the camera reading over the pages yeah it's very naturalistic I think um, and and shifts really effortlessly between that kind of more interpretive moment where the art breaks out of panel borders and more conventional sort of fully boarded, fully boxed sequences. Mm-hmm. Like it, there are only a couple of instances that I can think of where I stumbled with the reading order and they were all on montage moments. 
I, I think, yeah, the, the storytelling's from panel to panel is beautiful. Yeah, it, it really is. I never feel lost in this. Also, one other thing is that it also has moments of inner dialogue, which to me, this is of course just a very personal opinion, but to me can quickly feel hokey and very exposition dumpy. But in this, it just further deepens my relationship and knowledge of the characters. So it just guides me along instead of being, oh, hey, do you want this incredibly unnecessary information because we have to spoon feed it to you? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, this is one of the one of the things I wanted to, to ask you about, actually, and talk about is the framing specifically in the narration, because the narration is quite sparing to the point where when there was um, a little bit of narration towards the end of the book, it was a little bit startling. I'd forgotten that there was a narrative voice at the beginning. And there are just two pages, like a little deep breath before the comic, where you it's just a double page spread with barely anything on it except the words crunch, crunch, crunch followed by a couple of panels. I think this is Rose, the main character, being carried by her dad when she's younger up to this cabin. And you get a beautiful full page shot of the scene, but it's quite creepy almost. There's, there's something um, foreboding about the darkness uh, around the cabin. I don't know if that's just, you know, me projecting there. Honestly, if you hadn't said anything, I would not have read it like that. But I can super see where you're coming from now that I'm looking at the page again. But I do think that it's like popular media and stuff thwarting our perception of an adult man carrying a child away from the viewer into like the unknown. Right. But when you say it like that, that's the perfect way of putting it because her parents really aren't perfect at all. And, you know, it's this a lot of what the characters bring out in themselves reflects their parents or what their parents haven't given them. Like, for example, Wendy's ability to call out her friend has a lot to do with her mum, I think. Mm -hmm. But when you said a man carrying a child into the unknown, isn't that that's literally parenthood, isn't it? It's like a man and a woman or man and a man or woman and a woman carrying a child into the unknown. Maybe that's the point, and the cabin's the future? Maybe. Am I reading too much into it? No, you know, these are these are the cases where I feel like you're elevating my pitch very highly, and I'm like, man, I wish I was that smart when... I wish I had those smart intentions when I said that. I was just literally reading it as I saw it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's one of those cases where that's what I find so beautiful about media in general, is that your takeaway doesn't have to be any more or less wrong or right than somebody else's. So if you read that deeply into it, I don't think that's wrong, but it's also very hard for me to say if that's what the author and artist intended, because I know that there's been so many times when I do comic work and I'll show it to people and they're like, oh my God, I, I specifically love what you did with XYZ because it totally balances blee blah blue. And I'm sitting here like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, that was totally intentional. Uh-huh, sweating, drying my forehead because it was definitely not intentional. It was just a happy accident. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've totally had those moments. I was going to say that actually, you feel that sometimes I'm fascinated, like having written and drawn, I know that every single thing that I put in a comic has an intent, yet people are still able to draw intent that I didn't intend. So, you know, I know it's almost kind of not quite frustrating, but something close to know that I'm sure Gillian and Mariko Tamaki knew exactly why they were including that first panel in there. And I don't, I, without sitting down and talking to them, I'm not going to know if I'm right about it. Were there times where this comic kind of threw you out of it? Where you felt like you lost, not necessarily maybe the thread, but you were 
you suddenly were aware that you were reading a comic. Yeah, there were a couple of little um, panel stumbles. There's one odd panel order in a montage of sort of like panels with times attached to them that I just got lost and I was like, oh, okay, I'm just looking for the correct time to skip onto. But one instance of that in a book this long isn't unusual. I think there's what this is a funny thing. It keeps on it nagged me the first time and it double nagged me the second time. There's one character not a particularly significant character who's cartooned differently from the rest of the whole comic. Is it the friend of the pregnant girl? Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too. What is with that? I don't know, but I now that you mentioned it, because I had completely forgotten about it, but mentioning it, I immediately knew who you were talking about because she is a character that made me realize I was reading a comic. Not because she's poorly drawn, but the art style is so different. It's really weird. It's clearly an intention, intentional choice. I mean, Gillian is a primo artist. Like She's got such incredible control over her lines and, and there's such an incredible sense of movement and gesture mm-hmm. in her work. Um, and she's clearly gone for like an incredibly simplistic, you'd expect it more from a, an editorial four-panel comic in a newspaper or something, as opposed to this sort of stylized realism that she's got going in the rest of it. I would be very intrigued to hear what the, the reasoning behind it is. It doesn't bother me, and I don't think it's bad or anything. It just, it is the one thing that made me go, huh, this character doesn't necessarily flow into the same style choices as the rest of the book. But she is also there for a very limited amount of time. Do you think that maybe has to do with it? So we're not going, who is this character again? Instead, we immediately recognize it as Jenny's friend. I mean, that's true. Um... Like, we're both talking about her now, and she's a really sort of... She's quite a side character. And she does have a couple of, like, sudden walk-on roles where she drives the pot along just by saying something or being there. And it, that does require her to be instantly recognisable. So maybe it, was, maybe it was just that. So that the moment she came onto the, the page, you'd be like, oh, it's Jenny's friend. It definitely was successful in that case. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we both remember her now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, the more I'm talking about it, the more I realise sort of, like, the, the things that I wanted to talk about were less problems that I had with it and more just sort of moments where I just wanted to talk to someone else who was a comic creator to, about about their take. I'm really interested to know what you felt was the significance of the... So, first of all, like, a couple of questions about this, and secondly, what the overall significance of that little pile of keepsakes and trinkets that she leaves on the bed at the end was. Do you think that's something she's been collecting her whole life? At some point in the comic, she mentions that she used to collect these baubles with her father, I believe. I think it was specifically an activity with her father where they would collect different kind of baubles together. And correct me if I'm wrong, but build tiny little like structures with them and stuff. A little rocky, rocky pyramid or whatever. I couldn't figure out if they were the same thing as the things that she left or if they were just, I mean, they must be. She proceeds to say that... We're not going to do that anymore. Like, that time has passed. Maybe I'm reading too deeply into it, but to me, it reads as her leaving that pile of bubbles on the bed. It's like her acknowledging that that time is over, but it's not necessarily something big and dramatic. It just looks like she's mixed all of those collected bubbles together. So, oh my god, it's so it's so difficult to, to phrase this without sounding like some psychology major or something, but basing it on that it is all the different stuff she collected over the years... And instead of having them separate, they're all now mingled together. It's kind of like life where you grow up in acts. And then at some point, all those acts just mush together into who you truly are. And then adult life starts. And that's just when everything starts to feel samey. I totally buy that. I was wondering if that was the significance of them during the comic. Because she collects like a little, a couple of them during the, like she picks up a little stamped coin, the Niagara Falls 
coin that she finds. And then it's it's left in, on the bed along with all the other stuff. So I'd sort of wondered if, if they were kind of metaphors for her, the experiences that she was picking up. I like the idea that they blend together like that, though I'd not considered that. And that makes much more sense as a final image as well. Yeah, again, I always worry that I saw very pretentious reading into it like that. And it's one of those things where I didn't necessarily read it like that while turning the pages, but talking with you about it now, it reads like that to me. Does that make sense? Like, sometimes I will have to process a story to really understand what I experienced at the time. I'm not the most in real time perceptive person. It has to like sit with me for a little bit. Yeah, totally. I, I get the same thing. I think this is when my reaction to my first read of the book was hesitant. I think it was just those lingering, because it doesn't hold your hand at all. It lets you take these ideas out of it. At no point does it say explicitly, this is about the character growing up and, and, and all of these trinkets are, are metaphors for her memories and experiences and habits. And now they have formed together to become one whole. But that's the, very much the book. You can see them literally picking up ideas, phrases from the people around them. It's impossible that like the authors could include them physically picking up keepsakes, which are a visual focus, and also picking up habits at the same time, and for that not to be meaningful. I think that's a, there's certainly got to be some authorial intent there. At least it feels that way to me. And I, I think that also brings me back to another reason why I really love this story, because, I mean, you by now know me well enough to know that my taste is, I'd rather sit like a giant question mark after a story. Not that I did that after this one, but I will rather watch a David Lynch movie and just sit like, er, instead of watching like The Avengers or something, where I feel like the company is just like defroating me with metaphors and like, didn't you get this? Well, let me explain it to you because you're <laughs> fucking stupid. And that infuriates me to no end. So when you're saying that this book by no means hold your hand, it, it really dawns on me how much I'm willing to bring to this story myself, because to me it reads so easy and not because it's poorly written, but... To me, it's just like, it's such an easy breezy, good read that where everything just makes sense to me. Oh, certainly. There's nothing, there's nothing that I stopped and with the occasional kind of like, exceptionally the occasional metaphoric image like this one, there's nothing where I stopped and thought like, oh God, what's the plot here? Who's this person? What's going on? Why are they doing this? You know, really like it's, it's incredibly skillfully done. I just mean, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't deep throat you with its metaphors. I fully recommend it. Multiple reads. There's so many beautiful little details. Like, it's one of those comics that's heartbreaking to me because I'm not paying as much attention as I should do to all of the all of the art. You know, I'm skimming over these panels because it's a great read. And often for me, great reads go fast. Yeah. But then there was a particular scene, I think it was just a, an incidental scene in the lobby of a museum where I actually stopped for a moment my second time round and was just like, hold on a moment. There's like 50 odd characters in this, <laughs> all in the middle of doing something all in the middle of their own little summer holidays. And the artists thought about every single one of these characters. And there are at least 10 different little vignettes in this one panel. And I skimmed over it in half a second because it was just the establishment shot for being in a museum. And, and that stuff's all around you all of the time. It's kind of invisible. I agree because I think we can both acknowledge that the worst thing or one of the worst thing you can tell a comic artist is in this panel, there's 50 people and you're just like, cool, love that for me. A panel that people are going to spend less than a second looking at, but I'm going to spend like an entire day and then some drawing. 
yeah, it'd be really interested to know like how these two work with each other, because uh, it's unusual to find a, a writer artist team up that creates such such a smooth read. To put it bluntly, um, I always find there's typically something a little bit stilted about the pacing of a comic written by somebody and then drawn by somebody else. They clearly work together on a, on quite a kind of a fundamental level, but I don't know whether they prepare a script first and uh, or whether they kind of like spitball ideas and move straight to storyboards or, or how that process goes. But whatever they're doing, it's working. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious if being family has something to do with that. I know that like family is very different for a lot of people, but assuming that these two are close since they work together, I really wonder if they're the kind of people who grew up together, like making stories and just sharing that same kind of visual brain for doing this sort of stuff. Yeah, that, that seems right. I and mean, I'd be fascinated to find an interview with them and, and confirm that. Were there any sort of moments in the story that really leapt out at you, something that, that stuck with you? Or was it more of an overall like feel? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Because my first instinct is to say the entire thing is just like a delicious sandwich to me. And then it just all complements one another. But if I sit down and ponder it a little bit, I, I will say the... F I don't know if you can call it a fight, but the escalation between Rose and her mother when Rose kind of has like a meltdown and she is lashing out at her mom for making this vacation miserable because that's also like another relatively big subplot is that her parents try to have a second child and have failed and then it becomes evident later on very late in the story that the mother miscarried while swimming in the ocean and she is now scared of swimming. So the fact that they're at this cabin by the ocean seems like it's it's very lost on Rose because of course she lacks the deeper lore. She hasn't been told this stuff because she's essentially a kid and the parents probably feel like they're protecting her. But instead all Rose sees is the parents fighting and she's just exposed to the conflict and not like the reason of the conflict. So when she has her full meltdown on her mother, basically blaming her for this vacation being shite, it's very painful as an adult because you side with both of them, you know? You want to you wanna take the mom and be like, it's okay, mama. It's, it's fine. You're safe. You're just a human with emotions and you're dealing with a lot. And then you also want to go to Rose and be like, hey, your feelings are also valid because your mother isn't actually telling you everything. And I personally think you're mature enough to know the truth and then I think you would address this very differently. To me that episode really sticks out and also the the one that I mentioned earlier where Rose is slut shaming Jenny for potentially having become pregnant with this dude that's working in a kiosk on this uh, vacation area and she's so vile about the fact that this girl might be pregnant and then when her friend Wendy challenges her Rose reacts by lashing out at her friend as well. And that really stands out to me because I know that that's a moment that if these were real characters, Rose would be at 2 a.m. as an adult thinking about that and like, oh my God, I behave like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got, I've got a few of those. They make me physically wince every yep, now and then. Yep, yep. I, th I think it's very human to have those and to be able to see one of those moments happen in quote unquote real life made it stand out to me. Yeah, I guess that that's the, the real strength of this is that you can see these, the, the sort of the web of potentials in these characters' futures play out on on a small stage in this vacation. And I really love how, you know, you can see potential relationships with 
partners you can see how you know do they want do they want children how will they handle it it hadn't clocked to me i was so i was considering the metaphor of of the seed to be something primarily for rose and i'd forgotten how significant it was for the mother but that's great that it's for both of them it's this sort of like dark unknown and often as an adult you're flailing around in ways that you didn't expect to be you sort of expect adults to have their shit together and and do everything correctly and have the right answer and really the you're just in the middle of that ocean going oh my god where am i <laughs> you're just trying not to drown dude yeah yeah another another thing that, that the um sort of theme of the book really nails it's funny like talking to you about this i think i'm appreciating the book more and more as we go i already thought that i liked it but uh, it's really got a lot in it yeah that's why i really wanted to do this with you because we have, I think, different tastes on some stuff, but also very similar taste on other things. And I just, I love doing deep dives into media, be it like movies, video games, comics, whatever. Like, as long as it's media I enjoy participating in, I crave a partner to dissect that with, either or when I love it or hate it. It doesn't matter. I want to gush about something when I really enjoy it, but I also want to vent when I don't enjoy it. But I also want my view on something challenged either way. Because sometimes you can meet something with very doughy eyes, like, oh, it's so good, it's so great. And then someone's like, "Womp, hand on table, let me tell you a story. Or you can uh, come to that <laughs> same thing and be like, oh, this is trash and I don't understand anything. And then your conversation partner is like, but have you considered this and this and this? And that's why these kind of conversations are the holy grail to me. They're crack cocaine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope some listeners can get the same experience out of them because I'm the same. I just sort of, uh, in a way, the uh, conversation like this makes a piece of entertainment more real mm-hmm. to me. I was interested to know, I don't is sort of too personal to share on the podcast but are there any sort of summer memories that it reminded you of because there are a couple of couple that i sort of dredged up whilst i was uh, reading this oh my god can i can i tell like a weirdly personal story go on so we were talking about we remembered a moment when we realized oh dang i'm no longer a kid kid adulthood is like knocking on the door and that did literally happen for me during a summer where i was 12 and it was at the height of my Pokemon obsession. And <laughs> me and my best friend at the time, who was one year younger than me, funnily enough, kind of similar to these characters, we would stay up all night and play Pokemon cards together because I got her ass hooked. And growing up, uh, my mother is a nurse and she has always been very honest about like the human body, how it works, everything. So that's never been scary to me besides getting my period that I had nightmares about as a child for years before I actually got my period I don't know why but I was horrified of the idea that one day I would be able to potentially create kids and also just like be miserable for a week every month for the rest of my foreseeable (laughs) life that sounded like such a bad deal to me and then this summer we had even slept outside like under an open sky And my parents weren't home, so we had been given the house to ourselves. We were like proper big kids. We stayed out. We got like beetles in our pillows. It was awful, but it was great. And then the next day, the next morning, we get up and I'm I'm feeling like a little weird. And I go to the bathroom and realize that I've got my period. And like a proper idiot 
the first thing I do is call for my friend. I call her name. I yammer and I yell. And I'm like, I have gotten my period. <laughs> and she's like, because uh, she's one year younger than me. So for her, it's really hella awkward. And then I'm like, you got to give me the phone because we had, this was landline phones, but we were the cool kids. So we had like portable landline phones. So she hands me the phone as I'm sitting on the toilet and I call my parents. And I'm like, mom, you got to come home. I got my period. And I'm sitting on the toilet crying my ass <laughs> off. And my mother's like, it'll be fine. You're not going to die. And then my mom comes home and I cry all day and I cried the entire first week. And it's such a vivid memory for me because it's so fun that if, if I could have like seen that in the future, I'm going to sit and tell this story and laugh about it to my 12 year old self. The world was ending that day for me, Paul. It was ending. <laughs> that sort of ultimate perspective that you can only have at that age. It's so, so all consuming. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, not that that changes entirely when bad shit's going down, but <laughs> no, but now it's yeah. just fucking hilarious to, to think back on sitting on the toilet, yeah. just crying into the phone to my mother. God bless. What about you? What's wow. uh, what's your story? Oh, so two, two little things it brought back. First of all was uh, a holiday in that caravan park that I mentioned when I was a similar age to these characters. And there were two 16-year-old boys um, who were part of a family. They had some younger kids as well who were closer to my sister's age, who's about three years younger than me. Um, and we were close to each other in the camping um, site and we just sort of hissed off. My parents hit it off with their parents. And so we hung around a lot and I just thought they were the coolest guys ever. You know, they were, they were old, they were 16. They were really cool. Um, and they invited me around to all their like, uh, old, the older stuff that, that they were doing. That was the first summer I ever had a beer. Oh. And I just remember really vividly, vividly them teaching me the phrase fucking A. <laughs> um, uh, it just really like the, all the stuff they had in this uh, in this comic about sort of picking up language oh, yeah. and um, picking up on other people's phrases and that then becoming a part of you or, or irritating you and other people um, just reminded me of that. This is this one moment when I can remember my, my literally the way that I spoke suddenly changed a little bit. I was like, yeah, fucking a, fucking a. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> There's another summer where we usually used to go to um, to visit Cornwall, which is down in the um, south, the very tip of England, for anyone who's, who's not familiar with um, uh, English geography. But anyway, we used to go there every Easter, and one time we went there in summer instead, and it was such a different place. It was startling. The beaches that I thought were desolate and empty were, were packed full of people. These places which I thought were private were tourist destinations, and... It was all very startling, uh, but we stayed in a, a holiday camp um, in these little sort of chalet things, and I ended up having like a kind of a first crush moment. I still remember this girl was called Helen, and we did everything together that holiday. We went to the beach together, uh, we played table tennis together, and it just brought that whole holiday back, um, even how... I remember there was a, a guy who served at the swimming pool in the holiday complex, kept on teasing us about being boyfriend and girlfriend, and we'd both like go quiet uh, when he did and be like, no, we're just, we're just friends. Um, but the whole holiday ended with a huge argument between us. Oh, no. um, yeah, we were playing tennis um, 
and it just got weird and slightly competitive and we were both going home the next day and I think we didn't want to not see each other anymore and we knew we probably would never see each other again and it was just suddenly a bit awkward and again that kind of weird inability to control yourself or to control the circumstances around you and to just you know have this little moment the summer gives to you and then takes away from you when you leave and that was very much like the book so yeah okay so if you want to know where we got these incredibly nuanced and informative opinions about comics then you can visit our personal websites and check out our own work. All my stuff is on pauldoffield.co.uk and you'll find links to my Patreon and my webcomic, Farlight Isle, and Jaws. Yeah, uh, my um, main page is jawsome.com and if you want to see my steadily declining mental health, then twitter.com slash jawsome underscore art. See you later. Bye. I guess we should come up with an outro or something. Oh, good lord. Do we have to do that too? Do we have to be that professional? <laughs>